0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and our, well, our second host, Draft Podcast. But uh, the dust has settled a bit. We will go over the draft in detail. We uh, did a sort of immediate reaction last week just after the draft was over. We'll dig into the draft a little bit more and we'll look ahead to the 2022 draft class as well. Never too early for that. Uh, We're going to talk about a trio of call-ups to the big leagues. Red Sox outfielder Jaron Duran, Angels outfielder Brandon Marsh and Dodgers right-hander Josiah Gray all called up recently. And we will take a look at the newest top 100 prospect. That is Bryson Stott. And we'll wrap up with the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, have you had a little bit of time to uh, take a breath since the, 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 mega draft futures game weekend?
1: Yeah, my, my, our weekend weekend, Last weekend was less complicated than the weekend before that, so. Uh, well, that's setting the bar. Yes.
2: Um, so yes, a little bit. Although the signings have been coming in fast and furious, uh, the sort of truncated amount of time to sign guys, uh, lots and lots of signings to report.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, one thing we didn't notice when we we're talking about all the changes with the calendar is um, only 19 days from the end of the draft to the signing deadline. Um, you know, which is usually it, it's it's pretty much a full month so you know things are getting done quicker um if we're requesting schedule changes for for next year i'm not sure why the signing deadline's on a sunday um they you know they moved the trade deadline so it wouldn't be on the weekend but like why couldn't the sign deadline have been maybe on a, on a during the work week but the, the signing deadline is on a, a sunday which is kind of odd you
0: Well, know, hopefully we won't get back to you know earlier days when, when every when the signings really came down to the wire. And, uh, you know, there's like a cloud of dust in the final hour to final few minutes with all the signings coming in. So hopefully we don't revert back to that. It seems like uh, a lot of the signings are coming in early. We have 10 first rounders whose uh, signings have been reported to this point. And of course, uh, you two, Jim and Jonathan, are, uh, you know, uh, reporting these signings uh, Jonathan, you mentioned Fast and Furious. They're coming in. And you guys, uh, if if anyone is not following, I, I doubt there are many people listening to the podcast that don't follow Jim and Jonathan and MLB Pipeline on Twitter. But if you're not, you definitely should be. Jim and Jonathan are breaking a lot of these signings on Twitter, and we're keeping track of them on the draft tracker. Uh, that's MLB.com slash draft slash tracker. Uh, the same tracker that was used during the draft uh, to uh, put the picks up live as they happened has the pick value and the signing bonus uh, for every player who was drafted. Uh, so guys, so far, 10 first rounders signed I know last year, unusual year with only five rounds, but every single player signed. And I was curious your thoughts going into this signing period. What's what's the over-under on, on number of players that do not sign? Or maybe, maybe that's too difficult to answer for the full 20 rounds. Maybe... Maybe looking just at 10
2: rounds, yeah.
1: Yeah. 20 rounds, I'm not going to get. I mean, it's a little bit hard because I do think the vast majority – well, there aren't that can be that many. I I would say most of the guys who don't sign the first 10 rounds, I would think would arise from failed physicals. And we're just not going to know that in advance. But I I would set the over-under – I mean, the last time we had a 10-round draft, there were two guys who didn't sign. I I would set the over-under – at either one and a half or two and a half, depending on which way you want your betting action to go there, Jason. But I would think it would be, I think it would be very similar.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I was, I was thinking in my head, two-ish, you know, uh, I appreciate the half to make sure that we don't Well, we have were trying to get the, the betting push. on both sides. Yes, right, so. right. So if you set it at one and a half, I'll, I'll take the over. If you set it at two and a half, I'll take the under. How's that?
1: So we're both anticipating two. I mean, in terms of the first round, which is what everybody always seems to wonder about, I think they're all going to sign, barring failed physicals. I think the guy who might perhaps be the most difficult would be Jordan Lawler, who at one point we had ranked as a top prospect in the draft. He wound up at number three in our final rankings. and He went sixth to the Diamondbacks. He's 19 years old, so he'd be draft eligible two years from now, and I think... He has a number, you know, he, he did not, the Dimebacks did not take him with an agreement in place as to what it was going to cost to sign him. I I think he's got a number. I, I don't know what that number is. And if he doesn't get it, I think he'll go to Vanderbilt for two years. Um, I, I do think. The, t- the Pirates kicked the tires, you know, very hard on Jordan Lawler and Marcella Meyer. And, and so I'm going to assume that Jordan Lawler's number is greater than six and a half million dollars because that's what the Pirates signed Henry Davis for. But, but he'd be the one, if it came down to money in the first round, that might be the most difficult sign.
2: I, I think that's right. And I do think he is going to sign. Um, I, I don't think there are going to be any first rounders who don't sign this year. That's my, my guess. And I'm with you on that.
0: Have there been any surprises to you guys so far in the uh, signings that have been reported? Not not in terms of players signing, but in terms of the number.
1: Not really. I mean, look, I mean, it's now become like, you know, it almost seems like getting the guy to take under slot is, is is more important sometimes than just a pure talent on guys, you know, somewhat in the first round. But no, I mean, I think, you could kind of look, I mean, we're not going to do this. We could run through the first 50 picks and go over slot at slot under slot and and probably be right on like 48 of them. So no, I, I, you know, you know, we saw yesterday, you know, Ben Coderna got a $3 million bonus in the second round from the Royals, but like we knew his asking price was $3 million. And and when the Royals took Frank Mazzucato in the first round, you knew he was going to be under slot. I, I just figured Coderna was going to get his 3 million. So no, has anything surprised you, Jonathan?
2: Not really, um, not so far. I like. Can I can I take this opportunity to answer the very many people on Twitter who complain about this bonus system but don't totally understand how it works? Would sure. that be, be appropriate? I mean, we're still going to get it, but you know, basically, what's been happening is as we report these signings, and someone, you know, a, a, a college senior signs for five thousand dollars in the sixth round. Uh, You know, people have lobbed, uh, you know, have lobbed many complaints uh, from tying it into suppressed minor league wages to thinking that their agents must be terrible. Uh, You know, every everything in that in that bucket of these poor college seniors are only getting this much. And so I've responded to many of them, you know, but the the important thing is that, you know, Jim and I were talking about this. Nobody gets picked in the seventh round without basically agreeing to sign for that amount. That's how they manipulate the bonus pool. Now, if you want to have a conversation about, excuse me, I get choked up when talking about bonus (laughs) pool systems. Um, We're here for you. Very emotional. It's okay. okay okay Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, I feel seen and I feel heard Um, that, you know, you want to talk about whether that system works or not. That's fine. We could discuss that. Uh, this is, it's not a, a free market kind of situation here. And these players would not get drafted if they turned down that money. And what we started seeing, uh, you know, a couple of years ago is that the seniors who are, are a little bit better, maybe a little bit more talented, uh, maybe have a better opportunity and they get offered that they know Uh, or they get a sense, you know, that if they turn down $10,000 in the seventh round, they may get 20,000 in the 12th round where it doesn't count against your bonus pool. So the players that are getting taken in the top 10 rounds, it's even a deeper dive, which, you know, is reflected in Jim and I scrambling a little bit as day two goes on to to get information about some of these players. So, you you know, these guys are getting an opportunity to play professional baseball that might not have been, provided them if they don't agree to that amount. So, you know, uh, I hope people who listen to this, who are also active on Twitter, remind themselves of that, because pretty much every signing that I reported the other day, that was that, you know, senior sign kind of thing had people uh, thinking that there was some sort of, uh, you know, financial or economical abuse going on here. And that's just not the case.
1: And once I'll make a suggestion that I think, I don't know if it would totally solve the problem, but would ameliorate it. Um, So the way the draft works, if you don't sign a player in the first 10 rounds, you lose his bonus pool money. And for the first three rounds, that makes perfect sense because you get the pick back next year. Because otherwise, just using the Pirates with the number one pick as an example, let's say the Pirates took a guy and didn't sign him at number one. They'd still get to use his $8.4 million in this year's bonus pool if that money didn't go away. And then they would get the number two pick in next year's draft, So It'd be double dipping. So you shouldn't do that. But since you don't get back picks in rounds four through 10, if you don't sign them, instead of having all this gamesmanship, why don't we just say every team's bonus pool is based on the pick value of their picks in the first three rounds. And then we give every team, you can look, it's between two and two and a half million dollars. You could give every team the same amount or you could stagger it. Just add two to two and a half million dollars on top of your bonus pool total for the first three rounds. And you get the money in rounds four through 10, regardless of whether you sign the guys, you could do it that way too. That way. Maybe you, you take a run at, at, you know, two guys who are tough signs and you sign one of them. But like, that would be at least something that might make some of that go away. Then I wouldn't have to try to find using the Pirates example. Again, you know, Mike Jarvis, San Diego state shortstop signing him for $7,500 in the sixth round. I could, take a guy of sixth-round value, and if I run out of money by the time I get to my 10th-round pick, so be it.
0: Problem solved.
1: There you go. Maybe not totally, but that would be a step. So when I, when I become draft czar, um, my, my first move will be to hire Jonathan as my competitive balance draft czar, and then yeah. my second will be to have a uniform bonus signing pick value for rounds four through 10 for everybody.
0: All right, so we want to – we, last week on the podcast, we talked about your favorite pick of the – what? just overall. Was it overall, I think? And we, we said at the time, like, we, we could do this for the entire draft. Well, we're not going to do it for the entire 20 draft. 20 rounds. Let's, let's do it for the top five rounds. Your favorite pick in each of the first five rounds. Um, Jonathan, you want to start us off here?
2: So, competitive balance round does that count as round one or round two?
1: Why don't we do separate competitive balance round just as a bonus?
2: All right, okay. So, we'll do um, we'll do seven
1: rounds covering the first five. All
2: right. So, my favorite first round pick. It's funny because I think this is going to be similar to what we did last time, but I'm going to I'm going to go different. I'm going I'm to say that my favorite first round pick was Chase Petty, the Twins taking him at 26. Uh, just because I like the the risk reward there, and you know that the Twins went for the high upside, uh, he you know is kind of not the biggest right hander in the world. He throws a hundred high schoolers who throw that hard, uh, but you know I think he's he's really talented and has a better feel to pitch. So I'm, I'm going to than people think. So I'm going to pick Chase Petty.
1: I'm not sure if I'm going to and use this strategy for each round, but. I, and I think I went with this guy last week. I, I'm gonna, you know, there are a lot of great values in round one because guys kind of went all over the place. As teams were shouting for discounts. I'm still gonna go with Marcelo Meyer going to the Red Sox at number four. I think they got the best player in the draft. This is the highest they've picked. I keep using the line since I've been alive. Because they, they picked third in 1967 in June, and I was born in October. Did you that cover year. that draft, Jim? No, I was I was still in the womb. I was probably barely con- conscious of it perhaps. but um, but no, I, I just think getting you know when, when you have your highest pick in, in, in you know what is that 53, 54 years, and you get the best player in the draft, that's pretty good timing. So I, I like the Marcelo Meyer pick at, at number four for the Red Sox in the first round.
0: All right, Jim. I know you're a, a big proponent of the serpentine draft. Are we? Are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> is this a snake draft?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not really drafting these players. It's more favorites. So I, I'm fine. You could have Jonathan right. go first, or we could bounce back and forth. I'm fine with either.
0: Jonathan, supplemental pick from the first round.
2: Um, I want to say, by the way, I let Mar- I, le- I left Marcelo Meyer because I knew Jim, you would want to talk about it. That's him, very so. kind of you. I'm yeah. We're I'm a team player. No, I'm going to get choked up. Um, I, uh, competitive balance round day. I'm going to go with Joe Mack um, the high school catcher from upstate New York who, the Mariners the Mariners the Marlins took uh, number 31 overall uh, that was after they got Khalil Watson in the first round so it was a really good day one for them and Mack was you know, arguably the best all around catching prospect in the entire class you know definitely stays behind the plate uh, left-handed hitter with power to come uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, w- I was very excited for what the Marlins did on day one, getting two kind of high upside, high school up the middle players in, in Watson and then getting Mack at pick 31.
1: See, I'm torn here because it's like there's so many of these guys in this in the sub first round rounder mine, including three sweet swinging middle infielders. And as much as I love Noah Miller and I waxed poetic about him, at the end of day one on, on MLB network, I'm going to go with Ty Madden to the, to the tigers here. You know, we had Ty Ty Madden ranked ninth. There was talk. He was going to slide. There was talk that, you know, his fastball metrics weren't compatible with what, you know, the analytically minded teams minded teams wanted. I, I still didn't think he was going to get to 32. Um, I, I still think that's a steal for, for the tigers. You know, this guy's, you know, uh, we, we could talk about his fastball metrics, but he, he's got plenty of fastball velocity. He just throws it down in the zone rather than up in the zone. He's got a good slider. He's got feel for changeup. He knows how to pitch. He's strong. I really like Ty Madden. And, and you pair him with Jackson joe who they got a three, and they got two potential frontline pitchers with, with their first two picks before the second round. So I, I will go Ty Madden here in the supplemental first round.
0: All right, moving on to round two, Jonathan.
2: Hmm hmm, hmm. hmm. Well, I feel. Yeah. You know what? I think I'm going to kind of pick the obvious and and take Anthony Solometto, who was the first pick on day two. Uh. You know, we had a sense. You know, with the Pirates taking uh, Henry Davis, that they were going to save money and be aggressive. Uh. You know, Jim had heard that uh, they were going to take Bubba Chandler. That happened later on. Um probably talk about him in just a bit but Solomeda was you know the top high school lefty in the class some people thought you know after Job that maybe he had put himself in position to be the the best the second best high school arm overall ton of upside funky delivery uh, really good stuff six foot five he's gonna throw harder you know this is a high upside guy and uh, as we're recording this the the pirates actually sent out a release saying they had signed him I don't think we have bonus information yet Unless no, we
1: do. Two
2: point eight. Oh, that's right. Um, two point eight million. He's already even tweeted it out. Um, so uh, they get him for two point eight million. Slot it was just under two million. Uh, so some of the the money savings from Henry Davis and those seniors later on helped uh, helped the Pirates do that. Um, you know, but really, really good stuff, and uh, had had been. Slotted to go to North Carolina, but obviously uh, that uh, that's over
0: with, and he'll begin his pro career. All right, Jim, your second rounder.
1: I'm going to go with uh, Ben Caderna, who I talked about before. He, he kind of intrigued me when I was working on some area code game stuff last summer, <clears throat> your, your classic projectable high school pitcher, six foot three listed at one seventy five, really athletic. And you know, y- you don't need projection to get excited about this guy. He, he's 92, 95 up to 97 with the fastball. He's got a, a sharp slider that hit 87 this spring. He's got advanced feel for a fading changeup, up um, good delivery throws strikes, uh, really like him. And, and you know, again, you know, I, I like it's one thing when you're, you're cutting money for the sake of cutting money, you know, 75000 here, here, 100000 there just because you can't on college guys. But when the Royals went out and got Frank Mazzucato in the first round at number seven, and obviously he was giving a discount pick and we were all surprised. Nobody saw that one coming. Um, You know, what Jonathan just said about Solomito, you, you could say some of that stuff about Mazzucato too. I know there were teams that thought, Mazzucato might be the best lefty in the draft. You know, just like they were about Solomito or, or Jordan Wicks, who the Cubs took. And and you know, for the Royals, you weren't going to get Mazzucato if you didn't take him at seven. But you you know, so they fell in love with Mazzucato. Maybe it's kinda like the Braves fall in love with Ian Anderson. They take Mazzucato, they save money, and, and then they come and, and get a huge upside pitcher in Ben Coderna. So I I liked I liked Ben Coderna in the second round, pairing him with, with Mazzucato in the first.
0: Jim, I was Internally predicting that you might take the other Missouri teams pick there, with the Cardinals with Joshua Baez at uh, maybe. Group.
1: I also thought about West Caff, too for the White Sox because they considered him as a, with their first round pick. There's too many good options here, and I right. I see this. I limit myself to one pick. Finally, instead of giving you multiple names, and then you you just draw me Training. back in. I, Spencer yeah. Schwellenbach intrigues me too, like as a two way guy. So. Plenty of intriguing picks. See, now I'm blaming you when I pick four guys in each round the rest of the way.
0: All right, Jonathan. Competitive I like balance. I, Jim, round.
2: I mean, I feel like I should let Jim go first, just because I'm gonna, if, or either that, or I'm just gonna end up picking all the Pirates picks in the top three. Well, I'm not ones. gonna
1: take Lonnie White Jr., so I won't help you there. But um,
2: okay, well, you know, so then I will take Lonnie White uh, Jr. Uh, Pirates got him at uh, 64 overall. Um, was slated to go to Penn state to play football as a wide receiver and, you know, and play baseball there, you know, super athletic plus speed can play center field. You know, the interesting thing with him is that last summer he, you know, he he participated in some events and actually showed, you know, decent feel to hit against good competition. And that didn't have like as great of a spring, uh, you know, so people weren't exactly sure. And then of course the, well, how much does he want to play baseball comes into play. Clearly, the Pirates feel confident that uh, that this is the direction he wants to go in. <clears throat> this will be another over-slot signing. Pick value is just a touch over a million dollars, and they'll have to go well over that to sign him away from his football commitment. Uh, but, uh, you know, tremendous ceiling just because of the size and the athleticism.
0: All right, Jim, uh, one, one pick.
1: I will just pick one here. I, Peyton Wilson's a guy who's intrigued me all spring. I, this guy, I, you know, he, he he just has a lot going on, you know, tool-wise. He's a switch hitter. He can be a little aggressive at the plate, but he's got good pop for a nine guy. He's got plus speed. He's got a well above average arm. Uh, he's got instincts, range in hand. So even though he was announced as a second baseman, I wonder if he could play shortstop. Um, I'd at least try him there. He could play center. He's caught before. So he's really interesting there as well. Um, and he's, he's got bloodlines. I mean, his, his two older brothers both played Alabama. John Parker Wilson was a quarterback. who said a bunch of school records have since been broken. And his brother Ross still holds the crimson tide freshman home run record with 15. So I, I just think this guy, th- there were a lot of, of second baseman or players who are going to wind up at second base drafted in this year's draft in early rounds. For some reason, that was a, a, strong suit of this draft, but he's got better tools than almost any second baseman you'll ever see. So I really like Peyton Wilson. So uh, apparently I like the Royals draft a lot, which maybe more than I even realized.
0: Hmm. Thought maybe one of you would have taken uh, Adrian Del Castillo there. A guy who I I think I want to say early on in the mocks was a guy that was going, you you guys had going in the top, what, 10 to 15.
1: When we Uh, did, right. Then he started
0: started playing.
1: When we did a not a mock mock early in the season, maybe before the season, and I think think Jonathan must have gone first. I had the even number picks. I picked Adrian Del Castillo number four overall because I really liked the bat. And then he had a disappointing year. So there's potential for upside value there for sure. But once again, you're trying to make us talk about multiple players. You're never going to cure me of my... My affliction, Jason, <laughs> by doing this. I'm just this this is how I'm trying now. to get this is how we I'm should, trying to
0: get you over it.
1: We should move to the third round before I start talking about Reed Trimble.
0: Round three, Jonathan, hurry. Uh well, I'm gonna
2: leave I'm gonna leave the pirates pick for Jim. And I'm gonna wow. take uh well and I uh, you know we I think go we on talked Kevin about this go time. Kevin Copps. I'm not gonna go Kevin Copps, I'm gonna go Jacob Steinmetz because this is oh, my, of course. Like, a favorite pick, right? And uh you know, third rounder uh you made sort of news especially in the jewish community because he he is an observant orthodox jew and that's never happened before there was another one taking ellie kligman in the 20th round uh which was amazing and um i think i told this story last week but you know the, the diamondbacks took him because they like him as a pitcher and he's he's six foot five and was up to 94 95 when he went down to florida he's from new york originally and uh, can really spin a breaking ball. That's probably his best attribute. Is you know, plus breaking ball with really high spin rates, and uh, and, and you know he's going to start his pro career. And this is something that we've not seen before. And I just love that uh, you know they like him as a pitcher, and that they're going to work with him to sort of figure out how he can do this. Uh, you know, because he he's willing to pitch you know, on our Sabbath, which goes Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, but he's got to be within walking distance, you know, to, of, of the ballpark. And, and there, he keeps kosher. So there's going to be, you know, sort of uh, food considerations there, but uh, they're, they're excited to, to work with him. And um, it was just exciting to, to see that happen.
1: Well, I will go with Bubba Chandler as my favorite third round pick just because of the tremendous value here. And as Jonathan noted, so I had a team picking behind the Pirates telling me as we went into day two, that he thought they were hearing the Pirates were going to take Bubba Chandler or Lonnie White with that, se- that pick at the top of the second round. And they took Solomito, and then they came back, and they took White, and then they took Chandler in the third round. And, you know, announced him as a pitcher. You know, there were some teams on him as a shortstop, even some first-round interest as a shortstop. But super athletic guy, you know, Clemson scholarship offers a quarterback, up to 97, power to the curveball, has a slider to Shows some feel for change up. You just, you know, another guy, like I was talking about Kodurna, He's athletic. He's got a clean arm action delivery. Um, you know, and if pitching doesn't work out, he's a switch, switch hitting shortstop with solid power potential and speed. So, um, you know, tremendous, tremendous value from a guy that I, I don't remember my last mock draft now it's all a blur, but I, I think I had him going to the reds at 17 overall, uh, you know, in the first round, and the Pirates got him at the, at, at the top of the third
0: round. We will not talk about this player, but the next highest-ranked player to go in this draft, Tyler Whitaker of Bishop Gorman High School, and Nevada went to the Astros and uh, was ranked number 37 in our top 250 draft prospects list. And that You're was listening.
1: Houston's top pick. I was going to throw in there, Jason. That was oh, that's Houston's right. top pick because they, they lost their first two choices.
0: 87 overall. Uh, you're listening to the MLB pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Radliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who are currently pinpointing their favorite pick of each round of the recently concluded draft. We are into round four and Jonathan, you're up.
2: I am going to go with Denzel Clark from Cal state Northridge. Uh, the A's took him close to the bottom of the fourth round. Um, it's not often you get a a college bat with a ton of upside. <clears throat> he is, uh, he's from Canada uh, played for that, the 18, you know, junior national team. Uh, he's got bloodlines. His cousins are Josh and Bo Naylor. Uh, his mom was an Olympic heptathlete. So, you know, there's a ton of athleticism. He can really run. Uh, he, he Produced much more this year. He was kind of an under the radar guy because he hadn't done much before this year. Um, he struck out a lot less. There's raw power. Uh, you know, six five two twenty. Maybe he eventually moves to to right field and he could be you know sort of that athletic right fielder. Um, but a lot of people think he can stay in center field. So I, you know, to to get that kind of upside from a college guy in the fourth round, I think is a pretty good get for the A's.
1: I like that pick. I'm going to take somebody similar, a lot of, a lot of good sleepers in this round. And, and I'm disappointed you didn't go with your, your steer, steer wrestling connection here, Jonathan. But, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Christian Franklin of the Cubs, who, who's another premium college athlete. You know, I, I think when you're looking at at the, the, the power and the speed and the arm, and the defense and center, it's all solid to plus. He might be a 2020 guy. There is some swing and miss issues but he has made adjustments and hit better over the last couple of seasons. I, I thought this guy should have been a second round pick. Um, he went in the fourth round to the Cubs. Um, I think he's one of these guys that if he doesn't, yeah, you know, let's say the swing and miss gets the better of him and, and he's not a big league regular. He, he's got enough tools and does enough things that if he hits a little bit, he could be a good fourth outfielder. So I, I really like the, the, the upside on Christian Franklin. And I think, He's very, very similar. He's like a smaller version of Denzel Clark.
0: All right, let's move along to round five. Jonathan, your final pick.
2: I'm going to go with Irv Carter. Blue Jays took in the fifth round and already signed for well above slot. Slot was three hundred, just north of $350,000, and they signed him for 850000 uh was uh, committed to go to the university of Miami uh, teammate of Andrew painters so kind of a ridiculous high school staff um, getting to the right-handed projectable six foot four. Uh, he, he was already up to, you know, 94 miles an hour, but there's more to come. Um, you know, he's got a good slider. There's some feel for a changeup, you know, in high school, you tend not to need it much. Um, he has a tendency to get a little cute with his delivery, like changing the pacing, turn around, like Johnny Cueto. Um, but uh, you know, good athleticism. I think there'll be a consistent delivery and good control. Uh, the scouts in Florida said, you know, some people thought he was a little bit like Tuki Toussaint, you know, Southern Florida guy, also. But um, but you know, an upside pick here for the the Blue Jays with their fifth uh, fifth rounder.
1: So so what's your mock draft have me doing here, Jason, in round five?
0: I've got you going with the second pick of the round in Mitch Bratt.
1: Wow, that's crazy because I am going with Mitch Bratt. Wow. Wow.
0: We know each other well.
1: Mock work there, Jason. uh, I'm stunned. But, yes, Mitch Bratt, Canadian kid who came down to pitch at – georgia premier academy because it was not going to be easy to scout canadian high school players this year because you couldn't go back and forth across the border and you know the left-hander you know the curveball has a chance to be a plus pitch as he gets stronger your fastball currently tops out at 92 but it's got some good attributes to it he commands it well he's got feel for throwing the change up effortless delivery that repeats really well um and i was impressed too like he i, I don't think it hurt i mean I don't th- I think he would have gone around this range anyway, but he went and pitched against, you know, significantly older competition in the MLB draft league this summer. He didn't turn eighteen till July third. And, and he pitched well. Um and, and I think better days are ahead. I think this I think Mitch Bratt's gonna continue to get uh, bigger and stronger and, and I and I like the feel for pitching in these shows and, and I like the stuff he already has. So I will I, I will go with Mitch Bratt here in round five.
0: All right, so our draft of your favorite picks from the first five rounds includes three Pirates picks and a couple of Royals picks. And uh, pretty pretty well distributed among high school, college, and we've got uh, catcher, shortstop, uh, several right-handed pitchers, a couple of outfielders, uh, so mixed it up quite a bit there. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to shift gears. And instead of looking back at the 2021 draft, we are going to look forward to the 2022 draft class. That's coming up next on the MLB by Blind Podcast. You know what's a tough pill to swallow?
2: Watching your team strand runners. You know what's an easy pill to swallow? The new daily multivitamin from official MLB partner, Roman. The peppermint-coated pills are created by doctors and backed by science. Whether you're a five-tool player or just looking to support your general health, the 23 ingredients target men's everyday nutrient needs and overall well-being. Visit GetRoman.com MLB today to learn more and bring your A-game
0: every day. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We're talking draft. We've been talking 2021 draft. Now we're going to talk 2022 draft. So each year at the conclusion of that year's draft, we look ahead to the next year's draft. And we've been doing this for a while now doing our far too early mock or far too early ranking of the next year's draft prospects. And Uh, we've done it again. Uh, Jonathan this year was in charge of putting together a top 20 list. That story should be up on the site by the time you listen to this podcast. And um, first, looking back at last year, just to give you an idea, uh, last year at this time, when we looked ahead to the top 2021 draft prospects, Number one was Kumar Rocker. Number two was Jack Leiter. Number three was Brady House. Number four was Judd Fabian. Number five was Christian Little, who ended up not being in this year's draft as he reclassified. Number six, Braylon Bishop. Number seven, Matt McClain. Number eight, Luke Leto. Number nine, Adrian Del Castillo. And number 10, Tyree Reed. So kind of a mixed bag there in terms of guys who did, in fact, end up going at the top of the draft and some who did not. Uh, But just to give you an idea of how much things can change over the course of a year. Um uh, this year's top uh, look ahead to next year's top draft prospects goes like this. Number one, Elijah Green, an outfielder from IMG Academy in Florida. Number two, Dylan Lesko, a right-handed pitcher from Buford High School in Georgia. Number three, Jacob Berry, LSU third baseman. Number four, Jackson Ferris, another IMG Academy uh, teammate there of Elijah Green, who is a left-handed pitcher. Uh, number five, Tamar Johnson, a middle infielder from Mays High School in Georgia. Number six, Andrew Jones Jr., an outfielder from Georgia. Number seven, Jace Young, uh, infielder from Texas Tech and younger brother of Josh Young. And number eight, Jason Jones, shortstop out of Braswell High School in Texas. Number nine, Brooks Lee, shortstop out of Cal Poly. And number 10, Vanderbilt shortstop, Carter Young. So Jonathan, you put this list together. It's actually 20 deep. Um, uh, but, uh, give us your, your first impressions as you talk to, uh, scouts to put this list together.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, it's going to change dramatically, as you pointed out, but last year's list was probably even more, uh, you know, guesswork because of the lack of a 2020 season. Uh, you know, and we do this before the, the summer showcase circuit, uh, or Cape Cod league, which didn't happen last year anyway. Uh, so, you know, this list will change probably by the end of the summer, uh, not to mention the spring, uh, you know, high school heavy for up top for now. Um, I, I, think the, the biggest thing that stood out to me was the lack of college arms. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I have just one in the top 20 Hunter Barco from Florida um, I had to go through again because uh, I couldn't quite remember, but yeah, that that is true. Um, that will you know likely change, uh, but there weren't guys that had kind of stood out in, in that regard. Uh, and Hunter Barker was a good you know prospect a, a couple of years back uh, coming out of high school, but wanted to go on to Florida and has been you know part of their rotation since. I, you know I'm going to circle one guy, and I think he's become my favorite guy, and I figure I should talk about him now because he's from Georgia. And that's Jim's part of the country when we do draft stuff. So I, I'm going to talk about Tamar Johnson as much as I possibly can until it's kind of Jim's responsibility. But uh, you know, he he stood out to me uh, starting with batting practice before the high school All American game in Denver, where he just put on a show. And he's you know he's five foot ten, but he's unbelievably strong. His lower half is ridiculous, and that's where he generates his power from. That and from from that speed and how quick his hands are. Uh, Then he was really, really good in the high school home run derby. Uh, And the thing that was amazing is, you know, he's pulling balls into the second and third deck as a left-handed hitter. And then in the game, he was perfectly happy, you know, shooting the ball the other way. And, uh, you know, I I think that uh, he's a really good hitter. There's more power than you think. He runs well. I think the only question about Tamar Johnson is what position he ends up playing. Uh, You know, he he may he may be a second baseman and that high school second base profile isn't great. Um, But I think that he, you know, he's going to hit enough that he's going to stay in this neck of the woods. And, he you know, he's already performing well this summer. So uh, he is a guy that I will continue to watch, even if Jim is the one who gets to talk about him more going forward. Left left handed Mookie Betts.
1: Let's not put Mookie Betts. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, but we we've I'm got him to go there. I'm just going to say I think he can really hit.
1: He might be the best hitter in the high school class. I mean that was my impression when we were doing prep for the uh the high school All-America game that that I, that I did the broadcast for that, that you guys also attended. But I I will we'll, we, I won't go I won't go Mookie bets on him yet. But interesting, you know, three of the top six guys on here are high school players from Georgia. You know, I, I do think it looks like the college bat class is better. Next year than it was this year, which I think teams will be happy to see. Um, and just I was going to make a comment, Jonathan, on the pitchers. I, I think one of the reason one of the reasons you don't have maybe as many college pitchers is I think the best guy was probably Connor Prelip at Alabama, and he had Tommy John surgery. And you know Peyton Paulette at Arkansas was another really interesting guy who hurt his elbow in in May, and I, I think he's avoided Tommy John surgery to this point. But, you know, the college pitching class already has, has lost two of its better guys, you know, at least for now. Um, and I think that's why the college arms don't stand out as much on your list.
0: All right. And you talked about the summer showcase circuit, which has already begun. And several of these players uh, just participated in the Perfect Game National Showcase, which we Streamed on MLB.com and got to see quite a few of these guys, including the top two performers from the showcase also uh, match up nicely with your list uh, of the top 20. Jonathan, the top two guys on the Perfect Game National Showcase top performers list, Elijah Green and Dylan Lesko. Uh, Those two followed by Tristan Smith a left-handed pitcher out of Boiling Springs High School in South Carolina. So a player not on your list. I think he's one of three on this top 10 performers list that are not in the top 20. Tamar Johnson was number four. Jackson Ferris, number five. Ian Ritchie Jr., a right-handed pitcher out of Bainbridge, Washington um, is number six. Jason Jones, number seven. Andrew Jones, number eight. Number nine, Chase Shores, another name that does not appear on the top 20 list. Big, big, right-hander out of Lee High School in Texas, 6'8", 240 pounds. Uh, reminds me a lot of a young Jim Callis when he was in high school. And number 10, Mikey Romero, a shortstop out of Orange Lutheran High School in California. Jim, you were, you've were, you slimmed down a bit since your days. I, when I you was probably like years.
1: going into my senior year of high school, I was probably about like six foot 140. So. Um, yeah, if you, if you put me next to chase shores, it it would be hard to tell us apart. I think (laughs) he threw a little harder than I did there.
2: Just a little, just a little, I will say that I think the biggest question that maybe people can help us answer, uh, is, uh, if it's, if it's Ian Ritchie jr. Or J.R. Ritchie, the, the right-hander from Bainbridge, who, uh, was number six on the PG list and also in my top 20, I've seen it both ways. Um, so if people who are listening to this Actually know the answer and can and let us know so we can identify him correctly uh, because I think he's Ian and and this story and I wrote it as as Jr Richie.
0: Well, you yeah, also we,
1: have you also have Andrew Jones versus Drew Jones.
0: Right, right, right. Well, that's You're I think that's, that's formal. With...
2: Yeah, I think he goes by Drew, but his name is Andrew. Like in this case, like I'm sure Ian Richie's name is Ian, but we don't know if he goes by. <laughs> These are the the important things, so we know going forward what uh, how to identify
0: these guys because we may be talking about both of them uh, quite a bit. So, what are they? Are they moving the the JR and the Junior to be the, his, his first name? Is that is that what we think is going on there when he's re- that's when- what we
1: think? Is it maybe he was called Junior and then they abbreviated that to JR?
0: Jim, I know you. Uh, adamantly opposed to no periods in initials so this could end up i don't, I don't,
1: yeah, I don't know Though, like do i do I like if it if the jr is for junior and it's not initials do i give a special dispensation to jr richie perhaps but but cc sabathia you're just doing it all i blame cc sabathia he was the first who decided he no longer needed periods um jr richie i will not scorn but CC uh, Sabathia, I will scorn for not using the periods in his name. <laughs> or in his name, so like we just start going lowercase. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he go lowercase like EE e. Cummings and be lowercase CC Sabathia?
0: That's a great well, idea.
2: An EE e. Cummings reference in the Pipeline Podcast. I think that's a first. Yet again.
0: <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's move along. I mentioned uh, Jonathan's top 20, 2022 draft prospects list. Uh, being up on MLB.com slash pipeline that as well as the perfect game national showcase top performers list. You can find both of those uh, on MLB.com slash pipeline. All right, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we are going to take a look at the three recent big league call-ups from our top 100 prospects list, Jaron Duran, Brandon Marsh, and Josiah Gray. That's coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast.
2: I'm Xavier Scruggs, host of the bigs. And this ain't your Average Sports Podcast. This is MLB's first player-to-player show. You'll hear behind-the-scenes
0: insights from guys like Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. You know, I was the youngest, and, you know, being black coming up, man, it was definitely weird, you know, trying to have some locker room presence. I formed myself into a player I am today, so now it's a lot of respect that comes with that. Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher
2: David Price. Double-A was in Montgomery. We had six guys staying in a two-bedroom. You know, I slept on an air mattress under the dining room table. And
0: my guy, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, Jack Flaherty. My mom was scared. She was like, it's a scary place to be in because I don't want, you know, she saw what happened in Kaepernick. The best way to hear these conversations is to subscribe. Find the show on Spotify,
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen.
0: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Let's move ahead and look at some recent big league call-ups. We've had three over the course of the past week or so in Red Sox outfielder Jaron Duran, who is number 86 on our top 100 prospects list. Angels outfielder Brandon Marsh, who's number 38. And Dodgers right-hander Josiah Gray, who is number 42. Um Two of these players belong to teams that Jim manages and one Jonathan, Jonathan, so that breaks up nicely. Jim, uh, tell us a little bit about Jaron Duran.
1: Yeah, you know, and we've talked a lot about him. Um, You know, it's kind of a cool career path. You know, seventh round pick out of Long Beach State. You know, that's one of the very best pitchers' parks in college baseball, and he didn't hit for a lot of power there. came into pro ball and he tore it up, and then he tore up high class A the next year. And we believe—I don't know—there's any great way to check this—that he's the lowest drafted player, seventh round, to play in the futures game in his first full season of pro ball. But then, after he played the futures game, he really hit the wall in Double A in 2019, and then there was no season last year. So it was kind of, what exactly do we have in Jaron Duran? And and, and then, you know, it, it's kind of this roller coaster. You you kept hearing out of you know their alternative alternate trading site last year. He's made great changes to his swing and he's got more loft. He's using his legs more and he's going to have power and okay. All well and good, but like you'd like to see it. Cause he really didn't hit for any power in, in double a. And then he went to winter ball and he was okay during the regular season. Great in the playoffs, great in the Caribbean series. And you know, so I'll, I'll admit, I mean, Jonathan, you could pro- you can back me up on this. I, I think he might've made our preseason top 100 And I actually argued against him. And I said, look, you know, this guy put up a 634 ops in 82 games in double A. I'd like to see him perform first. And, well, he's performed. He he only played 46 games in triple A because he was with the U.S. Olympic qualifying team. He hit 15 homers. He still has plus plus speed. Um, I I think the big question on him is how good of a center fielder will he become? Because he was a second baseman in college. His his reads and and roots were not great at all in the fall league in 2019 he's gotten better but is he going to be an average center fielder could he be more than that or is he going to be one of these you know uses his speed to outrun his mistakes types of guys but i mean you're looking at a guy with impact speed and i think 20 plus homer power um you know he's changed his approach you know he's more aggressive but he's driving the ball a lot more and as we record this on on tuesday morning he he just hit his first home run last night first pitch he saw in the majors it was a, a fastball from Garrett Cole, and he lined it back up the middle for a base hit, and you know could be a real spark to Red Sox team that's already off to a tremendous start this year. Um, but and I think eventually he'll probably be batting toward the top of their order, although they're going to kind of I think well I think the initial plan was to break him in easily, but I, th- I guess he was batting second last night, so maybe sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, he looked like he was well on his way to at least a twenty twenty season, if not potentially a run at a thirty thirty season. A AAA with fifteen homers and twelve stolen bases through just forty six games.
1: Will you will you will you count his major league stats? Will you combine them for him, Jason? Can he, if he goes fifteen eighteen in the in the big leagues, will you count that as a thirty thirty season?
0: Uh, not for, not for our uh, list of, of minor league 2020 20 and 30, 30 seasons, okay. but, uh, I, I don't think we've, I don't think we've ever done that to, uh, incorporate big league stats as well. It would be interesting to see that list. All right, Jonathan, you're up.
2: Yeah. Brandon Marsh, uh, was so happy to see him get up to the big leagues because he, he has shown tremendous tools uh, pretty much from the second that he signed, but you know, he's just had trouble staying healthy Uh, variety of of injuries that he's had over the years. Uh, Most recently was a shoulder problem that kind of shut him down for a chunk of the time at the alternate site last year uh, and slowed him uh, this year. He missed about a month. But before he got called up, he was kind of red hot, and pretty much wherever he's been, once he gets in a rhythm, he hits. Uh, you know, super advanced approach uh, from the left side of the plate. Uh, you know, so he's been able to hit for average. He gets on base. Uh, he runs well, and he plays a you know a plus defensive center field, but also is very comfortable in the corners with more than enough arm for people wondering, well, what happens if and when Mike Trout, you know, comes back up and. You know, took an over in his first game and then had three hits in, in game number two with a double in his first big league run batted in. I think there's more power to come. Uh, you know He is a hitter first and the power has just shown up in sort of fits and bursts. but we're talking about a, a six foot four. yeah, he's gonna you know, continue to add strength and I think he's gonna learn how to tap into the raw power he has more without, uh, without giving up any of that hit ability. Uh, but, you know, a really exciting player plus makeup and, you know, for my money, one of the better interviews, uh, not that, that, you know, we don't have an interview grade, a talk grade. Uh, I wish we did. Um, but, uh, it was just, was, was very exciting for him to, to get up there and, and show people what he can do. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, they needed an outfielder and they brought him up and not Joe Adele. Who had been up already, struggled, but had been, you know, hitting well and with bunches of homers in triple A. But they brought up Marsh. Uh, maybe because I think uh, they're more comfortable with his his defensive ability and his defensive flexibility in the outfield.
0: Yeah, Joe Adele so far this year at triple A, hitting two eighty five with nineteen home runs and sixty three games, uh eighty eight strikeouts the you know, the number to watch with Adele, obviously, 88 strikeouts and 270 at-bats. All right, Jim, Josiah Gray.
1: Yeah, you know, Jojo Gray, you know, super interesting guy, you know, kind of like Jaron Duran, not like a a prime prospect when he got drafted. I mean, this was a guy who was a shortstop at the NCAA Division II level at LeMoyne for two seasons, went to the Cape Cod League in 2017, became a full-time pitcher and took off, had a great year at LeMoyne, in 2 in 2018 was a supplemental second round pick in June that year and, and then he was part of of really what I think has a chance to be one of the the more one-sided trades in recent memory that the Dodgers were looking to clear 40-man roster spots. you know we've talked for years about you know obviously they've had a lot of success at the big league level they've had a lot of success at the minor league level they have a 40-man roster crunch so they were looking to clear salary, clear roster spots. They made this trade with the Reds where they traded Matt Kemp, Yasiel Puig, Alex Wood, and Kyle Farmer and some cash for Homer Bailey. They're just taking on his, his contract and two prospects. <laughs> and the two prospects they got were Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray. And both those guys have quickly blew up into top 100 prospects in their first season in the Dodgers system. Jeter Downs wound up being the key prospect uh, in, the, in the Mookie Betts trade with the Red Sox. And, and Gray, you know, his first, really his only full season in the system so far. He was Los Angeles' minor league pitcher of the year. Um, his stuff continues to get better. 92 to 97 mile an hour fastball that's got explosive life. He tightened up his slider and curve at the alternate training site last year change more work in progress, but he's super athletic. He repeats his delivery well. He commands the fastball despite the excessive life on it. And, I mean, he's been really dominant. I mean, he's, he's pitched 198 innings in pro ball, 228 strikeouts, 50 walks, 189 opponent average, just seven home runs. He had a shoulder impingement this year, which kept him out for a while. Otherwise, I think he probably would have been up in the big leagues. He missed almost two months. He, he probably would have been up already. But, you know, it just seems like it never ends for the Dodgers, that their farm system just continues to produce impact guy after impact guy after impact guy. And I don't know if they'll use him as a starter or if they'll use an opener and bring him in in relief, but, you know, Kershaw's hurt, who knows what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer, if he's ever going to pitch again for the Dodgers, you know, they need starters, and then you just like, okay, well, you know, we've got this guy who throws 19 with nasty breaking stuff and he competes off the charts and throws strikes. We'll just fill him in. It just seems like it never ends for the Dodgers.
0: All right. So those are our three most recent big league call-ups from the top 100 prospects list We we are going to continue talking about the top 100 prospects list here on the MLB pipeline podcast uh, with our newest addition to that list. And that is Bryson Stott of the Philadelphia Phillies, who uh, moved on to the list when Alec Manoa graduated uh, just recently here. And those are, uh, interestingly, the number nine and number 10 prospects from our 2019 Top 100 Draft Prospects list. I was looking back um, at that list and. Guys, the 2019 Top 100 Draft, Draft Prospects list that we put out in May 2019 uh, went like this. Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt Jr., Andrew Vaughn, C.J. Abrams, J.J. bladay Riley Green, Hunter Bishop, Nick Lodolo, Bryson Stott, Alec Manoa. So, you know, all the guys in front of Stott there are current Top 100 Prospects or, well, uh, Vaughn has graduated now but was preseason Top 14. Uh, but most of those guys, Rutschman, number two, Witt, number seven, Abrams, eight, Bleday, 14, Green, 15, uh, Lodolo, 43, and Hunter Bishop, 65. Alec Manoa was number 90 before he graduated off the list. But, you know, Stott kind of the outlier there in terms of not being on the top 100. He didn't, you know, he he performed pretty well in his uh, professional debut. So why the uh, why the late entry here?
1: Well, well, he was on the list for a while. He just got put you – know, last year was an odd year in which we didn't have many guys graduate and we had to accommodate the guys coming in from the draft, and he got pushed off the list. So I think that was it more than anything, wasn't it, Jonathan?
2: Yeah, I think – I feel like Stott's one of these guys who you know, since you know the, the re-rank after that draft year, if he was on the top 100, he, he got pushed off. He's always been in that like 101-to-1 – 10 range and, you know, he's been good. Uh, you know, you mentioned his pro debut. He had a solid pro debut, uh, you know, in mostly in in, the ch- in short season ball. Uh, and then, you know, this year, which is really his first full year, he's made it up to double A. Um, and again, he's he's put up good numbers. He, he gets on base a lot. He draws a ton of walks. When he was in high A, he walked as much as he struck out. Uh, his strikeout rate has gone up a bunch since he uh, got promoted to double A. So the the strikeout rate's a little higher this year for what he had done in college and previously. It's uh, at almost 25 and a half percent for the year, but he still draws walks or some good power. He's left-handed hitting shortstop. I think one of the things with Bryson Stott is that he's, I think he's going to be like a very solid everyday big leaguer, um, but he, he, uh, you know, none of his tools like really jump off the page. Uh, he, he's got a bunch of 55s. You know, he, he's not plus in anything, uh, but he does everything really well. He might end up being uh, better than what his grades, the, the entire package might make him a better player when all is said and done. Uh, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's, he's sort of always been on that uh, kind of top 100 adjacent
0: list. I think the biggest knock on Stott, if I'm not mistaken, do you guys recall this? Is that he he puts ranch on his ice cream? That's disgusting. You remember, you remember I, when I uh, uh, that, Amir I Garrett?
1: I, I would that. immediately vote for his. Let's
0: remove him from the top 100 immediately.
1: Yes, that's poor judgment. It makes me question his uh, his judgment in general. I I did interview him in spring training a couple years ago, and uh, I believe. I think either and I see I, this is terrible. Either Bryce Harper's mom was his sister's cheerleading coach, or his mom was Bryce Harper's sister's cheerleading. Coach.
0: <laughs> there,
1: there's a Bryce Harper connection uh, that i Not remembering exactly.
0: It was a uh, it was Amir Garrett who who tipped us off to that's awesome. uh, Stop putting ranch on his ice cream. We we'll have to check with Amir and see if that was just slander or if that's
1: okay. I, I, I've got it. the I've got the scoop here now. I, I found the story.
0: The scoop Bryce on the Martin. ice cream? Not oh, on the yeah. ice cream. I did not
1: ask him. I would not have interviewed him if I. Well played, Jason. I hate ranch dressing. Not as much as I hate mayo, but I. But I, as just to clarify, I love Johnson. Wow, mayo. He's, he's
0: he's listening to you right now. Nice, yes. right, yeah. seriously. Hate hate and I'm not, I'm, I'm not muted. I'm not muted currently. So, but
1: um, but no, it's uh, Bryce Harper's sister, cheerleaded for Bryson Stotts' mom, Shauna, who's a cheerleading coach at El Dorado High in Las Vegas. So there you go.
0: Is it cheerleaded or cheer-led?
1: Well, I said cheerleading. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the past tense. I would, oh, I you would have to ask Bryson stop that. Perhaps he would know that. But what the cool thing was is that, Br- that Bryce Harper kept telling him for months that if he was there at 14, the Phillies were going to take him. And then when he got picked, he uh, called him and said, told you so." so. So there
0: you go. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of the Pipeline Podcast with a question in the mailbag uh this one comes from joe joe's handle and everybody i'll expect everyone to remember this is joe 13231556 he says
1: joe's not how, a bot, is he like that his phone like number what is that, 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 what is that? like like are we sure joe's an actual human being joe like, bot it's a little scary we
0: we don't know this could be ah. we could be answering the question from a bot right now that's a good question nonetheless how does where a player gets drafted affect his chances at being an mlb top 100 prospect if at all for example, Ty Madden fell to number 32. Does that mean he isn't going to be a top 100 prospect, even though he was ranked number nine on your draft rankings? Whereas if he was drafted at, say, 12 or 13? Thanks.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm going to give a non answer answer. And maybe maybe uh, Jonathan Mayo, who I like much more than Mayo, will, will, will give a better answer than me. Like when, when I look at these things, when we're doing the rankings, I, I, I do put more faith into our rankings, which I believe reflect an, uh, an industry consensus than, than necessarily where a guy got drafted. Because guys can move up or down based on signability, but th- that wasn't really the case with Ty Madden. That said, like we usually do kind of look at a an amalgamation of where he went and where we thought he should go. It's not like an average, but you know, nine plus 32, that averages out to 20, and the 20th best player typically would make the top 100. I don't know what we're going to do with Ty Madden, Jonathan. I'm inclined. If you'd asked me before the draft, I would have said, yes, probably going to vote for Ty Madden on the top 100. And I'm stubborn, so maybe I'll still do that. But I haven't looked at that process quite yet. So I I don't know what the answer to that will be.
2: Yeah. uh, You know, I think he's sort of separate. Uh, We'll we'll talk about Madden for a second, then sort of in a larger general sense, you know, my gut and we haven't dug into this as you know, Jim says, you know, is to kind of go with what the scouting industry was saying, uh, you know, and why did, you know, from getting to where he is, there were many teams that could have taken him and didn't. So I think that will probably enter into our conversation and we'll run, you know, we'll run the list by some people and things like that. In a larger sense, it's not just where a guy goes, you know, for instance, Bubba Chandler was a third round pick. Uh, I, I, I might be more inclined to include someone like that. The high school guys who slip and then get paid as if they're first rounders might still be in the top 100. Um, and, I, you know, he might have a, a better chance of cracking that re-ranked top 100 than Ty Madden, who's a college guy who's, you know, who who didn't go uh, you know, as early as we thought he might. So, I mean, we, we have to dig into all of it, but, you know, we don't take where they were drafted alone in, in determining how they get into the top 100, uh, but the reasons why they went where they went will certainly figure into into consideration.
1: Because, like, for instance, looking at a, a, another guy, Khalil Watson, we had ranked fourth. He went 16th. That wasn't based on talent. We will rank Khalil Watson will not be the 16th ranked draftee on the top 100. Um, he will rank higher than that. And, I mean, I think we, I think we felt pretty good about the top three guys, didn't we? You know, Marcelo Meyer won, Jack Leiter two, Jordan Waller three. Yep. Even though Leiter went two, Meyer went four, and Waller went six, I feel like after the end of the long draft process, we kind of felt like those were the top three guys, and we felt pretty good about that order.
0: Agreed. That mid-season top 100 prospects list will be coming soon in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for that. Thanks everybody for listening and thanks to Joe, possibly a bot for your question. That is going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.
2: Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB.
3: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best